0: Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, September 29th, 2023,
1: where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. GOP presidential hopefuls spar in the party's second debate.
0: North Korea enshrines its nuclear ambitions into its constitution.
1: Self declared Nagorno Karabakh announces its dissolution.
0: Republicans hold their first hearing on the Biden impeachment inquiry.
1: A flurry of leaders arrive in Ukraine for aid talks.
0: Burkina Faso claims to have thwarted an attempted coup.
1: Iraq's prime minister visits the victims of a deadly wedding fire.
0: China's ever grand founder
1: is placed under police surveillance. OpenAI and former Apple designer collaborate to create the iPhone of AI. And Japanese scientists
0: find microplastics in clouds.
1: In our top story, a second GOP presidential debate has been held without Trump. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, NPR Online News, CBS, The Hill, Daily Mail and Reuters. On Wednesday night, Republican presidential hopefuls sparred during the party's second primary debate of the season, at the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, with several candidates criticizing the absence of former President Donald Trump. Seven candidates took part in the debate, with former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson no longer qualifying to take part, while Florida Governor Ron DeSantis described Trump as, quote, missing in action. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie called him, quote, Donald Duck in reference to his absence. Candidates further discussed immigration and drug trafficking across the U.S. southern border with Mexico, America's relationship with China, funding for Ukraine, and environmental policy, among other topics. When asked by Fox News moderator Dana Perino which individual should next be removed from the Republican primary race, no candidate provided an answer. Perino prefaced the question by claiming that if all candidates were to continue their bid, Trump would win the nomination. A snap poll by JL Partners, carrying a 4.2% margin of error based on data from 546 Republican viewers in the hour after the debate finished, found that 27% saw Trump as the winner of the debate, despite his absence, with Vivek Ramaswamy sitting in second at 26%, and DeSantis third with 17%. Trump, who according to the latest Reuters Ipsos poll, leads DeSantis by 37%, chose rather to speak to auto workers in the state of Michigan amid national strikes in the sector
0: thanks eric for those facts our narrative start with this democratic spin from the guardian the republican debate was an embarrassing one a product merely of chaos and hate furthermore without the presence of the party's clear leader in the polls the entire event can only be deemed pointless With another primary debate scheduled for November in Miami, the right's painful march toward an election over a year away is set to drag on, despite a lack of enthusiasm for anything Republicans have to offer.
1: Counter that with a Republican narrative coming from New York Post. While the debate displayed a talented crop of candidates, only one can be a viable Trump opponent, which is why the GOP must stand behind a singular candidate. In all likeliness, the party must pick between Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, and move away from the sideshow of multiple inevitably unsuccessful candidates taking shots at each other and toward the meaningful policy discussion the GOP has to offer.
0: And there's a pro-Trump narrative from the Western Journal. While candidates for the best loser within the Republican Party attempted to criticize Trump's absence, the content of the debate itself merely proved why such a decision by the former president was wise. There will be no notable change in polling as a consequence of any candidate's performance. And there continues to be no need for Trump to show up to events promoting politicians that the American people don't take seriously.
1: Our final spin for this story is coming from the nerds at Metaculous Prediction Community. They say there's an 80 percent chance that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election.
0: So you said that uh, Chris Christie called Trump Donald Duck for avoiding the camp, the debate. I don't, I didn't see the debate, but I don't, I don't understand it. I don't
1: understand that. I don't either, but I wish Adam was here so he could do a Donald Duck impersonation.
0: Oh my gosh, (laughs) you're right. His two best impersonations are Donald Duck and Thurston Howell. That does the two (laughs) that he keeps, he keeps them holstered at all
1: times. That's right. That's his arsenal. He's go-to's. Yep, yep. He has, he has
0: only two, but they're good. You know, right. you know if you're only going to have two, they better it's, be good, and they that's are. That's right. If it very, be, very can't relevant, be quantity, topical. it's got to be quality. North Korea enshrines its nuclear ambitions into its constitution. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Time Magazine, NHK, CNN, and Reuters. North Korea's rubber stamp parliament, the Supreme People's Assembly, unanimously adopted a constitutional amendment on Wednesday to enshrine a policy that develops highly nuclear weapons to ensure its rights to existence and to deter war. In announcing the decision, leader Kim Jong-un, according to state media outlet KCNA, emphasized the need to push ahead with the work for exponentially boosting the production of nuclear weapons and diversifying the nuclear strike means and deploying them in different services. Referencing the cooperative security pact between the U.S., Japan, and South Korea, Kim also claimed that the emergence of the Asian version of NATO is the worst actual threat, as it is the root cause of war and aggression. While experts say the move is mostly symbolic, with Pyongyang having passed a law last year that declares the country a nuclear weapons state, it faced criticisms from South Korea and Japan, who, alongside the U.S., have pushed for North Korea's denuclearization. This follows Kim's return last week from his trip to Russia, during which he and Russian President Vladimir Putin agreed to boost military and economic cooperation. The U.S. and South Korea are concerned Kim will receive technological help regarding the nation's nuclear program in exchange for helping Moscow replenish its stock for the Ukraine war. The passing of the amendment comes as North Korea decided to release U.S. soldier Travis King, who illegally entered the country in July.
1: Scott, thanks for those facts. Our first spin for this story is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Bloomberg. Make no mistake the DPRK's nuclear arsenal is not just a toy set Kim Jong-un plays with for his amusement. He may very well intend to deploy it against the U.S., South Korea, Japan, or other Western allies. If Kim continues his reckless pursuit of posturing on the global stage, he should understand that the leaders of the free world will respond in kind.
0: And we have an establishment-critical narrative from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. The West's zero-sum approach toward North Korea has been a failure for almost the entire 21st century the U.S. can no longer demand complete denuclearization while simultaneously conducting military drills in Kim Jong-un's backyard. As the Korean War never officially ended and North Korea is still an enemy of the U.S., Kim will continue to feel threatened until Washington decides to offer something more substantive.
1: The Metaculous Prediction community giving us a nerd narrative once again. They say there's a 15% chance that there will be a full-scale war between North Korea and South Korea by the year 2050. The Nagorno-Karabakh Republic announces its dissolution. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, CNN, BBC News and The Guardian. According to a decree signed by Nagorno-Karabakh President Samvel Chakramanian on Thursday, the region's state institutions will be dismantled by the end of the year and the self-declared republic will cease to exist as of January 1, 2024. Since Azerbaijan's 24-hour offensive last week that led to local forces surrendering. Almost 71,000 people, over half the region's population, have reportedly crossed into Armenia in the Lachin Corridor. Azerbaijan has claimed that it's prepared to respect ethnic Armenians' rights as it reabsorbs the region, but Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan has reportedly warned the risk of ethnic cleansing of Armenians in the enclave. Meanwhile, Azerbaijan detained Ruben Vardanyan, a wealthy businessman who made his fortune in investment banking in Russia and served as the state minister of the Nagorno-Karabakh Republic, as he tried to flee the region on Wednesday. After the fall of the Soviet Union, two former Soviet republics, Armenia and Azerbaijan, went to war in the early 1990s, with Armenia capturing areas in and around Nagorno-Karabakh. In 2020, a second war broke out with Azerbaijan recapturing the territory and Russia playing a key role in negotiating a ceasefire. Tensions increased last December after Azerbaijan imposed a partial blockade of the Lachine Corridor, the only road that links Nagorno-Karabakh with Armenia.
0: Thanks, Eric. The Armenian Weekly brings us Narrative A. Hundreds of years of Armenian history will soon be erased as Azerbaijan seeks to ethnically cleanse Nagorno-Karabakh, known as Artsakh, to its indigenous Armenian population. The world, yet again, is watching in silence as long-dispossessed people are pushed out of their homeland.
1: Narrative B comes from Aze Media. Azerbaijan has finally triumphed and reclaimed its sovereignty over Nagorno-Karabakh. This will dislodge Armenia's military presence in the region and ensure the return of refugees displaced by Armenia in the First War. Azerbaijan only seeks to live in harmony with its neighbors.
0: And Metaculus brings us a nerd narrative. They say there's a one percent chance that the U.N. Security Council will adopt a resolution related to the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia before October 1st of 2023. The House GOP opens its Biden impeachment inquiry. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, The Guardian, Reuters and the Associated Press. The Republican-led Oversight Judiciary as well as the Ways and Means Committees in the U.S. House of Representatives on Thursday began formal hearings as part of their impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. During the hearing, Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, chairman of the Oversight Committee, claimed the inquiry would prove Biden abused his public office for his family's financial gain. Republicans allege Biden enriched himself and his family through policies he put forward as vice president between 2009 and 2017, and also that he interfered in the Department of Justice investigation of his son, Hunter. The hearing, which is being led by the Oversight Committee, was scheduled to hear from three witnesses, including Jonathan Turley, a law professor and paid Fox News contributor who testified against former President Donald Trump's first impeachment, Bruce Dubinsky, a forensic accountant and Eileen O'Connor, a former assistant attorney general in the DOJ's tax division, who has written an op-ed critical of the investigation of Hunter Biden's finances, were also called to testify. Biden denies any wrongdoing, and the White House has characterized the inquiry as a political stunt.
1: Scott, thank you for those facts. The first spin is a Democratic narrative coming from MSNBC. This farcical inquiry is a solution in search of a problem. Republicans are throwing out conspiracy theories and misinformation and hoping that these accusations turn out to be true. The least they could do is present actual facts from which to build their case, but they can't seem to come up with any.
0: And the contrasting Republican narrative comes from Town Hall. We
1: already know that
0: Biden has changed his tune from saying he never spoke to his son about his business dealings to a more vague position that he was never in business with Hunter. So what else is the president hiding? That's the purpose of this inquiry, to build off already accumulated evidence and, in the name of protecting the American people, holding the Bidens accountable for any criminality.
1: The the Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 25 percent chance that Biden will be impeached by the House. A flurry of leaders arrive in Ukraine for aid talks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters. Euromaiden Press, Interfax, and Ukrainska Pravda. British Defense Minister Grant Shapps met his Ukrainian counterpart, Rustem Umerov, both in their first month of new roles, as well as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Thursday. Umerov said that the pair discussed the ongoing battlefield situation, as well as air defense, artillery, and anti-drone systems. Meanwhile, a statement from Zelensky's office quoted the Ukrainian leader as saying, quote, On behalf of the whole nation, I thank you for everything you are doing for us. We are grateful for your help. Military, financial, humanitarian. We greatly appreciate that. We can rely on you. The talks were preceded by an unannounced visit from NATO chief Jen Stoltenberg. In a joint press conference with Zelensky, Stoltenberg said that NATO has framework contracts in place for 2.4 billion euros or 2.53 billion U.S. dollars of key ammunition for Ukraine, including 1 billion euros or 1.05 billion U.S. dollars in firm orders. France Defense Minister Sébastien Le also landed in Kiev for talks on Thursday, alongside French Ambassador Étienne de Poncines. Shortly after landing, the French officials visited the Wall of Remembrance for fallen Ukrainian soldiers. The visits come as Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmytro Kuelba announced on Thursday that the inaugural Defense Industries Forum will be held in Kiev in the next few days. He said the meeting would bring together representatives of arms manufacturers from across the world with the aim of strengthening Ukraine's military production capabilities. The exact time and location of the conference was not announced, likely as a security precaution following Russia's bombing of a drone manufacturer's summit in Chernihiv last month.
0: Thanks for that rundown of the situation in Ukraine, Eric. We have a pro-Ukrainian narrative from Euromaiden Press. While Ukraine is grateful for the West's supplies of weapons, these deliveries have been slow and often short of what the country needs to achieve battlefield breakthroughs to successfully push Russia out of all of its territory. The West must not fall for Russia's fear-mongering and give Ukraine the weapons it needs to successfully achieve its aims.
1: Follow that up with a pro russian narrative coming from TASS. The West's ever-increasing arms deliveries to Ukraine are continually blurring the lines between indirect and direct involvement in the conflict. Not only does this drag out the conflict, making it more painful and agonizing for Ukraine, but it increases the prospects of a serious escalation.
0: And Metaculous predicts another nerd narrative. They say there's a 1% chance that there will be a bilateral ceasefire or peace agreement in the Russo-Ukraine conflict before the end of 2023. Burkina Faso's junta says it thwarted a coup attempt. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, PM News, France 24, The Daily Trust, Al Jazeera and the Associated Press. On Wednesday, Burkina Faso's military government claimed the country's security and intelligence services had foiled an attempted coup the previous day. In a statement, the junta said that officers and other alleged actors involved in this attempt at destabilization have been arrested. Furthermore, the junta stated that an investigation to unmask the instigators, who it alleges had the dark intention of attacking the institutions of the republic, is underway. This comes a day after protesters marched in the capital, Ouagadougou, expressing support for the transitional government amid reports of a looming mutiny. Previously, three soldiers had been arrested and charged with conspiring against the military government of Ibrahim Trore, who seized power in the conflict-torn country last September. Trores was the second military coup of 2022, which took place amid a growing Al-Qaeda and Islamic State group-linked
1: insurgency. Scott, thank you for those facts. Two spins have emerged from this story. The first one is Narrative A coming from African News. The recent coup attempt shows that certain forces want to prevent Burkina Faso from becoming a truly independent nation. The same applies to neighboring states such as Niger, which faces the threat of state collapse in the event of a military intervention, as in Libya. For too long, Burkina Faso has suffered under the, the hypocrisy and domination of the West, which is now blocking the fight against Islamist terror. However, the people of Burkina Faso will continue to follow the chosen path of freedom and sovereignty. And narrative B comes from France 24.
0: So far, the junta in Burkina Faso has not provided any evidence for its claim of an intended coup in the country. On the other hand, it would not be a surprise given that the new strongman Trore himself came to power through a coup. Despite their claims to the contrary, the military government has failed to repel the jihadists, which increasingly undermines its legitimacy. Further coups are unlikely as long as Burkina Faso remains in a crisis.
1: The Iraqi Prime Minister Visits the Victims of an Iraqi Wedding Fire Here are the facts as agreed upon by CTV News, Al Jazeera, CBS, CNN and BBC News. On Thursday, Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani visited the survivors and families of the victims of a deadly wedding fire that left over 100 dead and 150 injured in Nineveh's mostly Christian Hamdaniya area on Tuesday. An Iraqi health ministry official said the death toll is likely to rise because some of the injured are in critical condition, with funerals held on Wednesday and continuing on Thursday as investigators identify the victims. Hundreds of people were inside the building in the town of Karakash, just outside the northern Iraqi city of Mosul, when flames erupted near the primary entrance. Witnesses reported seeing people suffocating, falling, and stampeding over one another until the ceiling collapsed, causing the majority of the deaths and injuries. An investigation is ongoing, but Interior Minister Abdul Amir al-Shamari claimed that fireworks caused the ceiling to collapse and that the wedding venue failed to meet safety criteria, with 14 people reportedly arrested. Karakash was the biggest Christian town in Iraq before it was overrun by the Islamic State in 2014. The town was liberated by Iraqi forces with support from the U.S. in 2016.
0: Thanks again for those facts, Eric. Narrative A comes from the BBC. The Iraqi government is responsible for the high death toll of this tragic fire. It knew about the lack of safe infrastructure and adequate rescue equipment, but did nothing to fix the situation. Corruption and mismanagement are rife in the area, and several similar high-casualty incidents have happened in recent years.
1: Narrative B comes from CNN. The owners of the wedding venue should be held accountable for their negligence. There was a lack of fire extinguishers and safety measures inside the building, which was covered in highly flammable materials. Those who set off the fireworks should also be met with repercussions. The government is doing all it can.
0: China's ever grand founder is under police surveillance. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Bloomberg, The Guardian, CNN, The Wall Street Journal and Reuters. Bloomberg News reported Wednesday citing unnamed sources familiar with the matter that Hui Kayan, the billionaire chair of China's Evergrande Group, has been put under police control in his home country. He was allegedly taken away under this month and put under so-called residential surveillance, a police action that falls short of formal detention and doesn't imply criminal charges for reasons that remain unclear. This comes as the Chinese property developer has become entangled with the criminal justice system, with some staff in its wealth management unit and two of its former executives having recently been detained. Shares of the Evergrande Group crashed again on Wednesday, taking losses to 42 percent this week amid mounting fears of a potential liquidation of the company that has lost 99.9 percent of its value since peaking in October 2017. Hong Kong-listed shares of the developer and those of its property, services, unit, and electric vehicle manufacturing business were suspended from trading on Thursday. At the center of an unprecedented liquidity crisis in China's real estate sector, which accounts for roughly a quarter of the country's economy, Evergrande Group is the world's most indebted developer, possessing more than $300 billion in total liabilities.
1: Those were the facts, and our round of spins begins with an anti-China narrative coming from CNBC. This report raises doubts about the future of the highly indebted Chinese property developer as fears of its collapse grow. With Hui's freedoms limited, the company may not survive long if the refinancing channel remains shut for a prolonged period. A failed Evergrande could spill over into other parts of the economy, leading to China's own Lehman-style crisis. And the pro-China narrative comes
0: from the Global Times. While Western media keeps trying to promote Evergrande's case as if its potential collapse would negatively affect China's economic prospects, the fact is that such claims expose just how little they understand the Chinese development model. As Evergrande has engendered this crisis by not following Beijing's directions, the group must shoulder its responsibility without a bailout.
1: And those clever nerds over at Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that China's GDP will be at least $17 international dollars in 2023.
0: I swear, like eight months, a year ago, it felt like everyone was saying China's economy was just just rock solid. And now I feel like where there's smoke, there's fire. We just keep hearing little things about China's economy having
1: trouble. Well, they're running out of money and they're running out of kids. Yeah. So something needs to be done. Let's stop this bleeding. Come on. Yeah,
0: usually more kids is less money. That's, that's yeah, my, right? it's been my model so far. It makes that's, no sense to me. Yeah. There's something going mm. on over there. I have to have a sit down in the chat with them.
1: Open AI is in talks to create an iPhone of artificial intelligence. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Verge, Forbes, Financial Times, and Mint openai is reportedly in advanced talks with former apple designer johnny ive and japanese conglomerate softbank to collaborate on the quote iphone of artificial intelligence openai ceo sam altman has been discussing the plan with ive and softbank ceo masayoshi sun who would provide over one billion dollars in funding the goal is to create the first ai consumer device that provides a quote more natural and intuitive user experience to interact with artificial intelligence, I've spent more than 20 years at Apple and played a large role in the design of the iPhone and iPod. His company, Love From, which he founded in 2019, will design the new AI device, while chip designer ARM, which is largely owned by SoftBank, will play a key role. The project is still in its infancy, but Altman and I've have discussed potential designs for the product. The deal reportedly hasn't been finalized, and a marketable product remains years away. There is currently a trend in Silicon Valley to find a breakthrough innovation as the smartphone market stagnates. Many companies believe AI and virtual reality headsets have the potential to be the next revolutionary technology to disrupt the market. OpenAI's success with ChatGBT has prompted companies like Microsoft and Alphabet to enter the AI race, with large tech firms pouring billions of dollars into the development of the technology.
0: Thanks, Eric. Narrative A comes from NBC. One can never predict what the next revolutionary technology will be or exactly how profound of an impact it will make. But a new device created by OpenAI and Johnny Ive could have a monumental impact. The iPhone revolutionized the way the world used mobile phones and devices, but the market has largely plateaued as most of the world has already been exposed. OpenAI has taken the lead as the industry's premier company.
1: Narrative B comes from Ars Technica. While hyping up a potential device as the quote smartphone of AI is sure to provoke ideas of grandeur and wonder, this mystery device is still just an idea, and we are far away from any tangible product. At this point, there's only some vague idea of an invention, as we've learned from smartphones, tablets, and wearable tech. It also takes multiple iterations of breakthrough products to establish a reliable market for these devices. A robust market for a device like this will be a long way away.
0: And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 1% chance that Robin Hanson will win a bet that the GPT line of language models will generate at least $1 billion in consumer revenue by the year 2025. Japanese scientists find microplastics in clouds. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by CNA, Space Daily, NDTV, Fager World, and Al Jazeera. Microplastics have been found in clouds, a new study reports. The discovery suggests a mechanism for how microplastics, tiny pieces of plastic that are less than 5 millimeters long, could potentially affect the climate. Scientists in Japan published a study in Environmental Chemistry Letters on Wednesday that used advanced imaging techniques to determine the physical and chemical properties of water samples collected from mists shrouding Mount Fuji and Mount Oyama. The team identified nine types of polymers and one type of rubber in the airborne microplastics. The sizes ranged from 7.1 to 94.6 micrometers and per liter of cloud water contained between 6.7 to 13.9 pieces of plastic. This discovery serves as the first documented evidence of their presence in clouds. One of the study's key findings is that microplastics in the upper atmosphere degrade when exposed to ultraviolet light and contribute to the production of greenhouse gases, which has implications for climate change. An emerging body of health evidence has preliminarily linked microplastics to a range of effects on cardiovascular health as well as cancers.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those facts. A couple of spins have emerged for this story, beginning with Narrative A, coming from Al Jazeera. Now we know that microplastics are present in clouds. Ten million tons of these plastic bits end up in the ocean, are released with sea spray, and find their way into the atmosphere. This suggests that microplastics may have become an essential component of clouds, contaminating nearly everything we eat and drink via plastic rainfall, which could have major consequences for the environment and human health. And
0: Narrative B comes from National Geographic. The effects of microplastics on human health are uncertain. While some studies have found a correlation between plastic consumption and certain health problems, others have not. Further study is needed to determine whether microplastics pose a threat to humans. I mean, this is just classic human just screwing everything up. Like, too much plastic in the water. Let's make plastics that break down, but don't break down all the way and just leave little tiny pieces everywhere. Awesome. I think
1: this... I don't think it's an accident that this problem was discovered the same time the Barbie movie was released.
0: Uh, You know what? I think you're onto something there. Occam's razor. The simplest answer (laughs) is often the best. And I think you did it. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, Professor.
1: Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, September 29th, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read
0: about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team that extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: Find out more about the Verity Podcast at verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast.